This is part two of the episode with special guest Cynthia Langtu. And in this episode, we talk about trauma, how to utilize your own resources and feel connection and wholeness with yourself within trauma experiences, trauma in relation to couples and healing in relationships, as well as the experience of betrayal trauma when the hand that feeds you is also the hand that hurts you. And we talk about that on a micro and macro level. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. This episode is supported by my listeners who have contributed on Patreon. If you found the podcast to be interesting, inspiring, healing, or supportive for you, and you want a way to contribute back, feel free to check out my page at candicewu.com Patreon, where you can donate even just as little as a dollar a month to support the production of the podcast and all of the love and details that go into every single episode. Thank you in advance for considering to donate. It really means a lot to me and every single person that's on there just also adds in their energy towards the uh, life of the podcast. So thank you all of you out there. I'm thrilled to have Cynthia back for a second day here on the podcast. The podcast that went out yesterday, part one, was all about being your best voice, believing in change and healing. It was about connection, ancestry and lineage, as well as decolonizing methodologies in research and in life. I really wanted Cynthia to come back to talk more about trauma because she is a trauma expert and she's just somebody that holds space for so many people that are suffering in the world. She's worked with refugee populations. She's worked with relationships and uh, couples, as well as individuals who are experiencing trauma or have at some point in their life. And she sees people with such a beauty and wholeness that brings people to see their own wholeness. If you haven't listened to the first part of the episode yet, go ahead and find it at my website at candicewu.com slash Cynthia, and that's C-Y-N-T-H-I-A, or candicewu.com slash EP64. I encourage you to listen because it's truly inspiring and uh, even brought me to feeling this radiance within myself. Without further ado, let's jump in and talk to Cynthia. Welcome back, Cynthia. It's it's fantastic to have you here on the show again. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to continue our conversation. Yeah, you know, I, I was just so happy with our conversation and inspired and I felt this vibrance and brilliance in my whole being. And I, I know that you work with a lot of trauma and uh, trauma is just such an important topic of the Embody podcast, a -hmm. lot of people are tuning in because they have trauma or they know of somebody or they're just revealing to themselves, maybe I do have some trauma. And so I I wanted to hear your wisdom on that. And specifically, I uh, have read somewhere that you were talking about 
supporting people and utilizing their own resources to heal from Mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to talk about trauma and how you support that. Yeah, yeah. I I really appreciate that question so deeply. And I've come in my, you know, years of doing this work to realize how pervasive trauma is. And so that's Mm -hmm. a bit heady and heavy to hold. But I also realize uh, the spectrum. And so I think many people would shy away from the term trauma, you know, big T or little t, because maybe they think of of, of, of big events that happen. But what I find, uh, and I did a workshop a couple of years ago, and I borrowed from Brene Brown thinking about being wholehearted. And one of the things that connected for folks was the idea of being brokenhearted. Like having pieces Mm. of yourself that don't feel completely connected. And so when I think about trauma uh, and the experience of trauma over the lifetime, I think about brokenheartedness and how we're meant to live wholeheartedly. Um, But these breaks in relationships or um, these things that happen to us that we experience as traumatic leave us not feeling like we're able to live wholeheartedly. And so Mm -hmm. that gets to how I think about the impact of trauma. So much of the trauma that's long lasting is interpersonal. Now, there are some things that happen. So say a fire or or a car accident that are not necessarily interpersonal, but so much of the trauma that I see in the world, in my clients, you know, in my day-to-day life is interpersonal trauma. Uh, And I find that to be especially difficult uh, when it happens early on in life, when we're having less than optimal experiences um, from which to build, because that's when we build our foundational resources. We learn how to uh, have an interaction with someone, have it be difficult, but get resources from our parents or caregivers about how to move through. We learn to feel sad. We learn to feel angry. We learn to feel happy. We learn to hold all of these um, resources. Um, being able yeah, to manage, or we our, don't. Or we don't, right? And so those. <laughs> right. That's where we ought to. I should say that's where we ought to be learning those yes, right. fundamental building blocks and resources that we draw upon later on, right? In order to move forward. If we don't get those initial building blocks, it becomes really difficult later on to even notice, one, that we don't have those resources, but then two, how to move on in life. And so when I talk about being resourced, uh, I mean some of these very basic building blocks, how to communicate what we're, how to understand what we're feeling, how to communicate what we're feeling, how to understand what we need, how to ask for what we need. Right. Um, Absolutely. The beauty is, though, when we realize that some of these resources are lacking or not there or we're not available, we can start building them. So it's never too late to learn how to notice your emotions, to notice how something that happens to you is sitting in your body. I know that the whole somatic world is so important for you and your work, and it is for me as well, like to notice like what is happening in our bodies in response to a stimulus, any stimulus, what's happening emotionally, right? And then to be able to use some Mm -hmm. of those uh, and build resources from those is so important. Uh, And so, and then the world opens up in terms of resources, right? Connecting with our emotions, connecting with ourselves, 
and then being able to connect with others in meaningful ways, in ways where we can share, in ways where we can emote, in ways where we can offer love, guidance, support, um, in ways that we can get love, guidance, support, right? True, deep emotional connection happens when we're connected to ourselves first. And that takes understanding uh, important resources and then building upon them. I hope that starts to answer your question. Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I am hooking into that experience of most trauma being within an interpersonal relationship and in the context of a relationship, therefore needing a relationship to support the healing. And, you know, where do we learn the building blocks of how to feel something in ourselves by ourselves? Yeah. If we don't have that, we just don't have it. We don't. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so important. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking, what you said early on in the, this question Uh, Something I've been thinking about a lot and something people ask me is, do you see practically everything as relating to trauma? And I see trauma as something that's incomplete, that wanted some completion in some way, whether that's staying with a feeling that just didn't get enough space or time Mm -hmm. or uh, a fight or something being said that felt like it wanted to happen instinctually but didn't get a chance to. Yeah. Or you protect it in a way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and so I just see these little little and big things happening to us mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the time. Like yeah. we don't scream yeah. at our our boss because, <laughs> you know, we want to protect our job. Right. Or, right. And that has a whole perhaps a whole branch of other experiences linked with it. But do you, do you see it that way? Or what is your thought about that? I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. Things that aren't finished, you know, be it the, the, the most minute, seemingly, I should say, seemingly minute fissures, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't get something you wanted, or there was a need that um, a want that felt like a need that didn't get met, uh, that you don't even realize in the moment. Or, you know, as babies, that happens and there's no language. Um, right. Actually, there are no words, I should say. There is, you know, some language mm-hmm. in terms of interaction. Um, but, and so I think that really links into what I was thinking about in terms of being brokenhearted, right? These events, emotions, these things that happen that don't have resolution or that leave us feeling not complete, right? But I think that mm-hmm. sometimes those are, um, I think of those as opportunities, right? I think of moments that we don't get what we need or uh, what we want, I should say, as opportunities to build. Like then how do we then move towards uh, communicating about that need with our caregiver? How do we let them know? How does the caregiver then help repair by offering what it is that we need? So I don't think that those fissures are um, necessarily problematic. They're problematic when they aren't complete, when there isn't resolution, when we don't learn how to move through. Right. Um, and that's when we're left brokenhearted. So I think the idea of not having resolution, not completing from the minute to the very large is so important. You know, whenever someone tells me of something that happened to them that has left them feeling sad 
or traumatized, if they use those words, I ask them, what happened when you told someone? Mm. What happened when you communicated to someone? And what I've found by and large is that the events that happen are often very painful and difficult. But what many people experience is the second trauma and sometimes even more impactful is how someone else responded, either callously or uh, not fully or not completely because they weren't resourced um, or negatively or harshly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it has such a long lasting impact. The words that were said, the look on a face has such a long lasting impact. Similarly, when someone has had something really difficult happen and they receive love when they communicate, they receive compassion, they receive vulnerability in response to their own vulnerability, there's such a different way that they talk Uh about their experience, you know? Uh, And so I, I think that that's another really important piece is understanding the intense power of pain, but also healing that can, and I think must happen in the context of relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. You know, the other piece to that, that just made me think, and I, I think so much of it happens in the context of relationship, but for me as someone who is a lifelong reader, I think if I wasn't a clinical psychologist or professor, I would be a librarian or a oh. spy, right? Um, <laughs> yes, we know that. <laughs> uh, I would be a librarian because for me, and especially as an immigrant child, reading books was how I entered the world, like how I came to understand and make sense of the world. And sometimes seeing another person, even a fictional character's experience resonated so profoundly and deeply with and for me that it changed me. There are ways that I've been healed by hearing and seeing a character in a book heal. There are ways that I've felt validated. Like I think about Pecola Breedlove from uh, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. I've only ever read Mm -hmm. that book once because it shook my soul to know that another little girl had this experience of being Black in America. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so there are ways that I've felt so seen in the context of a novel, that it's overwhelming. And I think that's another really beautiful way that we can connect with ourselves and with others um, interpersonally. Absolutely. I, I'm just thinking about a book that I read when I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, goodness. What is it called? Uh, it was a book about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I can just see the cover. It's red. It's got two children on it and the Star of David right in the ah. middle of it. And I I was just enthralled with reading about the Holocaust and reading stories like this. And um, it was a fictional book, but mm-hmm. some just what you're saying, something in it touched me even at that really young age. Yeah. And I had no clue why. You know, right. I'm a Chinese-American 
girl at the time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who who knows why I'm just like engrossed in this and it's yeah. terrifying yet also very healing and mm-hmm. um later in life I just felt very connected with something in me I can name it as maybe it was a past life experience of being mm-hmm. Jewish or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but Aside from that, even there was something in me about hiding in this life. Uh, And uh, uh, so whatever uh, it was, there was just so much there that was in an unspoken Mm -hmm. version of me, but read through these stories. So I I completely relate to to what you're saying. And it's, we can find so much in story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to relationship too. Like there's a relationship that I had with Pakola Breedlev, right? And and mm. with Toni Morrison, there's a relationship that you had with these two characters that was meaningful for you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you said to me uh, one time when we were speaking, feeling grounded across time and space was really important with finding resource around healing trauma, but knowing you're not just in this moment by by yourself, but that you're with your ancestors as well as those to come. And that really resonated with me. Can you say more? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think, you know, with respect to literature, I think one of the things that can feel so difficult is when we feel untethered, unconnected, Mm -hmm. alone, um, and lonely, not just alone, but lonely. Um, as if we're as if we're solitary in this world, and and I realized one of the important resources for me, and I'm blessed to come from a line and to have known, you know, some of the really important matriarchs, my grandmothers, uh, Andrea Hippolyte um, and Stephanie Jean Louis, being the two that I, mm-hmm. I think about most prominently. And they're no longer here physically on Earth with us, but they're with me every day. You know, and in moments where I feel like, oh my gosh, I have this task before me, I often stand very still and call upon them. And I feel their courage buoy me, you know, and I feel the courage mm. of all the women whose shoulders on which they stood, you know, I feel, I feel the courage of my ancestors grounding me. Um, and I also think about like, you know, I have the, these two boys and I think about who they'll bring into the world, who they'll love, you know, who will love them and, 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 and all of the, the progeny, like who will come from my family. And I, I feel grounded both in the past with my grandmothers, but also with who and what's to come. And there's a way that I can't feel alone in the world when I really, ground myself in both the past and the future. Um, And I feel tethered, but not torn in both ways. And that's such an important inner resource for me. And I think that, and I hope that my kids feel that way. I certainly know that my siblings feel that way, but I hope that more people really stop to think about you know, the ways that they can ground themselves in both the past and the future um, mm-hmm. and in the ways that they are. And sometimes that can be really challenging because as wonderful and amazing as my grandmothers are, I have these 
beautiful memories, but there are some painful memories, you know, in the yeah. past as well. And, and, and I know the important work that you do around intergenerational um, family work, that there's some pain um, that can be there as well. And so I, I say that knowing that those inner resources that come from the past and the future are complicated. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that's very real as well. And I honor that. I honor that it's complex. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's very real. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So you're doing trauma work with couples as well, and you are writing a book. Yes, yes. So it's one of the books that's uh, at the forefront of my spirit. You know, I feel like it's yeah. it's not even something that I've come up with, but that it's come to me. And, you know, in recent years, I've just come to see so clearly um, with all the amazing couples with whom I work. And I, I don't know how people find me. But whenever a couple leaves my office, I think, wow, what amazing people I get to work with, you know. Mm, Um, And I just feel so honored that they let me in their lives and let me in their couplehood. Um, And what I've found with almost all of the couples, if not all of the couples with whom I've worked, is that when there are significant challenges, that there are often is um, a trauma or multiple traumas that have been experienced, right? And so what happens is that, um, and, and often it's both you know, both members uh, of the couple mm-hmm. um, that have experienced significant trauma um, that they're working through or need to work through or maybe never even realized um, was situated in them as a traumatic um, experience or series of experiences. And so I find much of my work is helping them recognize, one, the trauma that they've experienced uh, and how it's showing up in the context of relationship, how it's keeping them from being vulnerable with each other, how um, there are moments that are happening uh, around self-preservation that are not about what's happening in this moment, but that are tethered to the past, connected to the past trauma, but are showing up right now. And so how can mm-hmm. I be a compassionate you know, partner, right? How can I understand this as related to the trauma? Um, and so give some space for my partner to be and to work through. How can I as the partner who is living out, working through a traumatic experience in the context of the here and now, communicate with my partner what I'm learning about myself, what I'm understanding about myself, what I'm not understanding, but recognizing might not be related to what's happening with this partner here, but maybe something that's happened in the past. And it's and I find that my work um, as the psychologist in this space is to offer some space to see the dynamics that are happening. What's happening in the here and now? What's related to past trauma? What is being worked through right now? Uh, and how can we understand how all of it is situated together? It's a really delicate dance. And uh, but it's a dance that that the couples are doing every day and maybe mm. not recognizing how it's playing out for them. I keep coming back to in the work that I do with couples is how one of the things that, well, you know, one of the papers that I read 
years ago. I mean, it must have been like 25 years ago, and it stayed with me, Susan Sands. And mm-hmm. uh, she's, um, I think she comes from a self-psychology perspective, but the title of the paper, I think, was What is Dissociated? And the premise of the paper was what's dissociated is connection, right? Like, so when somebody experiences a trauma, what happens is it cuts off their ability to connect, right? And mm-hmm. and it was so powerful to me because it was so clear. And so when someone starts moving away in the context of relationship, a partner, it's because they're trying to protect themselves. And so we talk about what it is they're trying to protect, the ways that they're trying to um, disconnect as a means of self-preservation and how at some point that that was working for them. They had to do that. That was how they protected themselves. But that strategy is no longer working in the context of this relationship because what you want to do is move closer to your partner, not away from your partner, right? You want to move towards intimacy and that disconnection, that lack of vulnerability, that self-protection and self-preservation is moving away from intimacy rather than towards intimacy. And, And that's a big ask. You know, that's a big ask for someone who has had to protect themselves and has used strategies that have kept them alive in some cases Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I get it. It made total sense at some point in time, but right now it's not the strategy that's helping you move towards your goal. And so how can we say thank you to that strategy and put it aside while we're trying to employ strategies that can help us move towards our goals in the here and now. I think that's such a a, a powerful experience to shed the past strategies and recognize they were helpful. And that feels to me now, as you're talking about it, one of the signals of trauma. You know, Mm -hmm. we keep using a strategy over and over, even when it's it's not presently useful anymore. And we can get locked in that reaction or pattern mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we keep on doing the thing that's not helpful to now because right. we have yeah. disconnected with the moment or with the vulnerability of now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and and you spoke about intimacy. And yeah. uh, we have talked in the past about intimacy, um, how to have true intimacy. Can you speak about that? What yeah. is true intimacy? Yeah, I mean, I think that we all desire to be, you know, our complete selves. You know, I talk about being able to, like with the couples with whom I work, to be able to walk in the door and feel like you can breathe free, mm-hmm. right? You can be your whole yeah. self. You know, my good friend, Dr. Tracy Rogers, you know, talks about bringing your whole self to the yeah. table. She's Trinidadian. Um, and, and the importance of being oh, able to how bring your, whole, your whole self, your whole oh, self. I love her so oh, much. I love um, it. <laughs> and, and it's really, and I say that with such fondness because she is a friend of my heart and someone with whom I can bring my whole mm-hmm. self. And being able to be laid bare before someone else, right? And have that be and know that that's completely okay, you know, be able to be vulnerable. That's the stuff of relationship because it's in that 
quivery, open, laid bare, vulnerable space that we truly connect with another human being, right? Um, and what this quandary that I find, because I find that oftentimes what we're trying to do in relationship, um, the couples with whom I work and I myself is put my best foot forward, right? Like I want you to see the shiny parts. I want you to see the glimmer. I want you to see the glitz and how amazing I am. You know, we want our partners to right. think that we're, you know, the gold standard. And yet what breeds true intimacy are those more difficult moments. You know, the stuff that isn't shiny, the stuff that's patched over, but that needs to be unpatched and healed because it never healed in the first place, you know? Um, and so that's the paradox is that mm-hmm. we, we, we want so much to, to, to be connected. We want to be connected. So we, we, we put on the mask, we put on the show, we put on the glitz, the glamour, the gold. And yet the paradox is, is that it's those quivery moments. It's the patched up parts. It's the truth, truth, truth of who we are that allows the vulnerability that breeds the kind of authentic connection we're actually looking for. Right. Yeah. It we can such a quandary. Like when you put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we well, of course. Yeah, we don't connect. Not really. I mean, yeah, we're attracted no. to someone, but we 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 fall in love, like deeply in love with the parts of, of each other that are quivery and vulnerable and real and authentic. I could not say that better. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and we, we become that glittery facade version of ourselves because it seemingly worked at some point and we just keep on going and we do. And yet our soul yearns to connect with the messy, painful parts too. Yes, And so we want to see that in each other. We want to help with each other to yeah to see those parts of ourselves yeah yeah and the well. the more vulnerability the more connection if we're able to accept ourselves and then accept the other and keep accepting the other and keep accepting the other and keep accepting the other and so I see a big part of my work as a couples therapist is to help you know, partners, one, accept themselves and keep creating space for vulnerability and true authentic connection and to keep opening up that space, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the work. Yeah, it is. And I find in conjunction with that, the keep accepting the other and keep accepting yourself and the other and self. It's such a fine balance. I guess just personally I've experienced accepting the other without accepting self mm. can, it, I can tip over into that yeah. and somehow neglected myself. Yes. 
or accepted. Mm. I think it's a fine line of what accepting someone's vulnerability and their experience and their what they're sharing, but not accepting something that doesn't feel good to you mm-hmm. in terms of like a treatment mm-hmm. or way of relating or right, right, experience. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I say this from deep, deep experience with that very thing you just shared, Candace, that that resonated for me so deeply where um, personally, I was so accepting of the other that I couldn't even see myself anymore, which actually mm-hmm. is a false acceptance of that other mm-hmm. person because I didn't trust them enough to be completely myself. And so it Ooh, wasn't really accepting yeah. them. You know, I didn't fully accept them if I don't fully accept myself and have boundaries for myself. Like I can love you completely and say, this is how I'm going to love you from afar or up close, or we can continue this piece because it's what's right for both of us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that what you just said resonated so deeply there, there is, there isn't a way that I can deeply accept someone else or say that I do without being fully real, because then there's a part of me that knows that what I'll get in response won't be okay, won't be enough, I'm not enough, so I have to shrink back or disappear in order to show up for this person, which isn't trusting them and isn't trusting their abilities. Their Um, wholeness, their ability mm -hmm. to accept you, Mm -hmm. to accept more or um, be respectful or Mm -hmm. to hold Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's, I love how you described how that works in complete tandem. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's no separation. Right. And it takes so much courage to be in relationship. It takes so much self-compassion compassion for others. It takes having clear and appropriate boundaries. So that's something that we learn. And if we didn't learn, can learn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's quite a bit of work to be, you know, fully in relationship. And yet, you know, it's, I think it's how we're meant to be. Not necessarily partnered, um, I'm talking about relationships, period. I absolutely believe that we were meant to be in deep, connected relationships. Um, and sometimes that looks like being partnered. Sometimes it looks like having, you know, a family relationship. Sometimes it looks like a best friendship. Sometimes it looks like X, Y, Z, a parent, mm-hmm. a child. But I absolutely believe that we were meant to be in deep, authentic, connected relationships. We were and are built for it. I do. Absolutely. I can see. I feel, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's one other topic that I'm interested in, and let me know how you're feeling now about it, is betrayal trauma. Mm-hmm. And both micro and macro levels of that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just want to start with what you had written, um, I think somewhere in a profile about betrayal trauma. 
Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned psychologist Jennifer, is it Freed or Freed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That she identified betrayal trauma as a, a type of trauma that occurs when people or institutions on which a person depends for existence significantly violate that person's trust yeah. and well-being. And that you mentioned it's particularly harmful because one's sense of trust, their connectedness, and their well-being is compromised. Yeah. Absolutely. And so for years, you know, I worked with children and I still do. And I saw this so clearly, the confusion that happens when a child who is supposed to rely on their caregiver, right? They have to rely on their caregiver is betrayed by that caregiver. That um, I have found to be some of the most long lasting ingrained, embedded type of trauma that's the most difficult to um, from which to heal. And what I found over time is what um, Dr. Freyd shared, um, is that the mechanism that happens is that the very hand that's supposed to care for you and feed you is the hand that's slapping you and hurting you. And yet you still need to be fed in order to have sustenance and to live. Your very survival depends upon you figuring out how to manage this double-edged hand, if you will, that both feeds and hurts you. And so you figure out strategies, right? To both get Mm -hmm. the sustenance that you need from that hand, but to also know when to run away, know when to protect yourself, know when to how to care for yourself. Uh, it's a very unstable, difficult, difficult is an understatement, traumatic mm-hmm. way to grow up. And I saw so many kids who had that double-edged hand, if you will, um, that sometimes fed them, sometimes hurt them. And they had to learn how to ingratiate themselves. They had to learn how to, you know, uh, manage all of that. Uh, in order to survive. And so they came up with strategies to figure out how to do that. Uh, and so then part of my work as a clinical psychologist with the kids who were now adults, right, um, who are in mm-hmm. couples, uh, is to learn what patterns were learned in the context of that relationship, how to unlearn the patterns that weren't helpful and how to come up with strategies that are. What I came to realize, and I'm only going to touch upon this briefly because it's so profound, so heady, so large, that it gives me pause, is that that very same pattern that I saw with the kids who became adults, who'd experienced betrayal trauma in the context of their caregiving relationship, that that pattern was happening on the micro level in the family between parents and children or caregivers and children, but that that pattern happens on a macro level. And I I wrote a paper in which I reflected on how Black children in particular in both the Dominican Republic and the U.S., but I think that other people, children, experience this, experience betrayal trauma on a macro level. And what do I mean by this? What I mean is that there are structures in place that systematically discriminate and harm Black youth, Black children, Black boys in particular. Mm -hmm. And that is 
a form of betrayal trauma. So you have these Black youth that are going to hospitals, to schools, to all of these systems that are supposed to care for them. And yet within those systems, they are betrayed. They are actually harmed, right? Uh, the criminal mm-hmm. justice system. Uh, as a mother of multiracial kids who present as Black, um, my heart cannot comprehend what parents like Tamir Rice's parents, who was, uh, you know, a 12-year-old boy who was um, killed on a playground, what his parents mm-hmm. must be experiencing, what Trayvon Martin's parents uh, must continue to experience, um, how on a macro level, these institutions are supposed to care for, you know, our children and yet are systematically betraying them is is heady. And so what does that look like then in the work that I do, right? Um, in the work that I do, clients come in and they've experienced betrayal trauma at the hands of their caregivers, but they've also experienced betrayal trauma on a macro level and feel currently discriminated against and pained. And one of the things that I see as part of my job is to name that, to name that they should be Mm -hmm. treated better, to name that the feelings that they're having um, are real and a normative response. You know, psychologists talk about a healthy paranoia that some Black people have how that's Mm -hmm. actually somewhat adaptive, right, in the face of this large-scale macro betrayal trauma. Uh, And I think that by Mm -hmm. naming that together, that we can begin to look at the psychological and emotional and spiritual impact, right, and also biological impact, right, like all of it, and begin to work on it because we're recognizing how large it is and how how these larger systems are complicit in terms of structural violence um, and systematic inequality. You know, the fact that school systems where um, people pay higher taxes are better uh, is just accepted is, is unacceptable. Like we just accept that as par for the course. That's ridiculous. It is. Uh, and that's part of the betrayal trauma that can happen on a macro mm-hmm. level. And I name that. Um, and I name that as it's related to how the clients that I see, how the people that I see working through their lives experience the world and experience within the, themselves um, and can take that on as something that's problematic about them. So similar to kids who have experienced betrayal trauma in the context of, uh, you know, their caregiving relationships can take it on as they were bad. There's something defective about Mm. them as a child. That's why it happened to them. I named that that was not the case. In a similar way, I named that for the clients that experience betrayal trauma on a macro level. When you are talking about this, naming it, I was just thinking how much of an impact that actually can have, you know, to validate someone's experience as real. Mm-hmm. And even if it's the the paranoia that is adaptive, whereas if someone said, well, you don't have to be afraid or paranoid, like that just invalidates everything. But, mm-hmm. but 
when we can feel so helpless about this larger macro level betrayal and aggression and hurt, it it can just feel heady. It can feel so big. Like, what do we even do about it? But I'm just reminded how these small droplets of validation and naming it shifting just even a tiny baby step away from silence and invalidation. Mm-hmm. It's like a homeopathy that can do so much for one individual and that that can ripple out mm-hmm. into oh. their community or their loved one or just being for themselves Yeah, in that knowing of one person believed me or yeah. felt me mm-hmm. and understands my pain or suffering. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I love the Thank way you, you put that homeopathy it, and it is right. Like that. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Like to not bypass how important these little tiny pieces of vulnerability can be and are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing these really, really important pieces. And I, I agree. It's just so too almost too profound and big to give it justice in in the words here but i appreciate what you're doing and um i feel that that love for people comes through here in terms of people who are experiencing that on a very large level yeah yeah thank you that's so meaningful to me thank you thank you it's been Incredible again to have you to be talking with you and for you to share what you're working on and what's inspiring you, what's also painting you in your heart. And uh, is there anything else you want to share? You know, I think I started all of this by saying we're at our best when we're connected to ourselves and when we're connected to others. Uh, And this work that you're doing to help reflect on how to do that is the stuff of life. And I so deeply appreciate it. So thank you, Candice. Thank you, Cynthia. I could not agree more with with that for you, about you. And um, it's just so wonderful that you exist and you're doing this work with people and that you exist as who you are in the world. Mm. And uh, I look forward to the interlogue experience that you're offering. I'm so excited. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I learned so much. And um, let's um, end it here. And just, I'm so grateful. It was such a pleasure to have Cynthia on the show, and I'm so glad all of you are out there listening in. I hope it's helpful to you and uh, supports you in finding some of your own belief in yourself, belief in your wholeness, or even helps you see where you're feeling brokenhearted and where you want to take another step for yourself. Be sure to check out Cynthia's experiential on interlogs. In the first part of her episode, part one, she talks about interlogs as a way of reflecting on your own process. If you're a researcher, if you're examining something and how your interaction affects the process and what kind of transformation goes on within you. But she's taking this to another level with interlogs and opening up to 
apply to anyone that's looking at themselves and their process in any way. Maybe you're an artist, maybe you're doing healing work or some sort of, of art, healing arts or something uh, that you can use this process to explore into yourself in a different way. So that episode will be coming out later this week. Look out for it. And again, you can find her full podcast with that experiential on the website with all the show notes and links at CandiceWu.com slash Cynthia or slash EP64. Before you go, I'd love to invite you to hop onto my newsletter that comes out twice a month. This gives some updates about where I am in the world, what I'm healing and thinking about, as well as self-love notes that can support you in loving yourself more deeply healing aspects of yourself, and it also keeps you up to date on any workshops or retreats that are happening. You can find everything at CandiceWu.com embody. One last thing I want to mention is I encourage you to reach out to Cynthia if you're interested in her work, if you'd like to stay in touch about her book that will be coming out I'm not sure when, but if you want to stay in the loop and if you want to contact her about speaking engagements to invite her to uh, your workplace or other places, reach out to her. The show notes are will, will connect you directly. If you're interested in reaching out to me to connect or to explore if we might be a good fit for healing work, feel free to reach out to me at CandiceWu.com connect where you can set up a free 20 minute consultation and there's no pressure to go forward. It's, it's 20 minutes we get together where we can talk about what you desire, what you want in your life for yourself, how you're feeling and how you're doing. And we can explore your next steps or check out how constellations or somatic experiencing might support you. Or I also give recommendations for other healers and therapists that may be a good fit for you. So that's at CandiceWu.com slash connect. I'm so glad you're here and I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time on the Embody Podcast. Thank you.